Thank you, ladies. That was wonderful. Pastor Mike, where are you? Wyland, where are you? I don't see you. Am I missing you? Where'd he go? All right. Well, ah, be sure your pastor will find you out. No, I'm kidding. There he is. Was, was Aaron Coffey the speaker for Teen Camp this week? Yes. Yeah. You want to talk about cool. Um, and kind of neat about how God works. I was a counselor at the Wilds a few years back. And Aaron Coffey was one of my junior campers at the Wilds. So isn't that neat that now he is ministering and preaching at the Wilds and some of our young people from this church have to go out there and be influenced by his ministry and preaching the gospel. And so the point of that little uh, story is you never know what part you may play, even if it's just a small part, in investing somebody who's going to give their life to serve God. And so let's invest in one another and in others. Let's encourage, let's exhort, let's uplift uh, because you never know how God is going to use those with whom we have influence. And never underestimate your influence and your ability to have an impact in the lives of others. Uh, because you just never know how God's going to use them. All right, we're going to be looking tonight in Isaiah chapter 6. We're just going to be looking through these first five verses because they emphasize the holiness of God. We're actually doing uh, four weeks now on Sunday nights of really what is giving the exchange. So um, this is only kind of a sample, in a sense, to give you a, a, a feeling of the essence of what the exchange is going to be like. Now, it's kind of not going to be like me getting up here, like I'm preaching tonight and preaching through this. But the exchange series really um, relates the character of God, and then it relates how man can relate to God. And so it's a gospel Bible study that goes through four weeks through any one of those lessons, depending on where a person is, it may be that God calls them to, to faith in him. So in other words, you don't have to go through all four weeks before you actually present that person with an opportunity to accept Christ. But what this does is it allows people to understand who God is, get an accurate understanding of his character, and even as the race sisters were singing about of his love, and it's expressed through the sacrifice of his son, a love that will not let us go. And, uh, and, and hopefully, by the grace of God and the Spirit of God working in their hearts, they will have a response to that love. The Bible says in 1 John four nineteen, we love him, why? Because he first loved us. And so we've responded to the love of Christ when we understood that and understood the gospel. So tonight, I'm going to be emphasizing some things, the attributes of God's holiness and so uh, as we're going to go through these things, this is basically going to be a few uh, statements backed up with a lot of scripture to kind of take you through that Bible study. So listen carefully as we go through these things. When I'm done, then I'm going to need a couple of mic runners that will hop up and volunteer to head to the back, get a cordless mic. And then um, Pastor Blake is going to come up and he's actually going to facilitate um, your discussion in family groups about four different questions that relate to this message. Because our desire through the exchange is to equip everybody in the church who has that desire to be a gospel witness. And by the way, whether you have that desire or not, we have all been given that great commission. God expects all believers to live holy lives that reflect his character. And we are to live the life that is changed by his grace as an advertisement of the gospel. But we are also to be, may I put it this way, we are to be purposefully aggressive in confronting people with their need. 
And in showing them the love of Christ and showing that concern, and as God opens up those conversations and gives us wisdom how to turn those conversations towards the gospel, to be able then to engage them in that conversation. One of the things I think we misunderstand uh, is that unsaved people really are open and willing many times to talk about spiritual things. And sometimes Christians are more hesitant to really talk about spiritual things. And I don't know if that's just because we live in such a, quote, politically correct culture that we don't want to offend anybody, that we think everybody just kind of has this mentality that, you know, religion is your business, don't talk to me about that, you know. Um, And certainly you're going to have some of that. But I think we misunderstand that there are a lot of people that are searching. You know, there have been three people here recently that have been saved that, that, that God brought to us. Brian. Um, I meet with him every Wednesday at 5.30. We've been meeting for two months now. He came He came uh, for some, some biblical counseling. And so I laid out the gospel. This is, this is how we counsel from the scriptures. And, and here is man's greatest need. And yes, God is concerned about this need for which you're seeking counsel. But I want to share with you that he's also concerned about your greatest need. And he can meet that need. And so at the end, I gave them a gospel tract, the exchange gospel tract, and asked them to go home and read it in preparation for our next time together. I got a text from Brian later that night. Hey, read through that tract, realized that I needed God's forgiveness. I'm a sinner, and I needed his salvation, and Jesus Christ saved me. And so um, so excited about that. And so, I mean, he's here on Wednesday nights. He's here, and he's right here tonight. And uh, he's faithful to be in church, and God is doing that. God brought him to us. And God, did, but God was doing the work in his heart, but he was searching for something. Uh, and there's another young man, Christian. Christian's been coming. Uh, Christian wanted some counsel and so contacted the church. Uh, Robin Foster wor- works with uh, Christian's dad. And they were talking about some things. And so Robin gave him the church information. Christian contacted the church. He and I met. Again, I began to explain to him the scriptural foundation for our counseling, what his greatest need was. After having listened for about an hour to his needs and wanting to help him from the scriptures, but then go back to the gospel. And you know what? Christian was ready, and he trusted Christ, and now he lives up to his name. He truly is a born-again Christian. And we've been meeting for about the last six weeks. This is all of God. I mean, Ashlyn, who was baptized this morning, she came on a Sunday night. She started reading the Bible according to her own testimony and said, hey, I need to get into church. And she found our church because we teach the Bible. And she came all on her own. And, uh, and our folks befriended her, and she began to learn more of the truth of the Word of God. She came to me last Sunday morning um, after the morning service. She's interested in baptism, so I asked her about her salvation testimony. We began to talk through that, and she realized she needed to trust in Christ, so she did. And today, she's baptized as an unashamed believer in Jesus Christ. Folks, why do I say those things? Well, I want to brag on God, because he's still saving souls, all right? And as they say, the woods are still full of them. And we say, what do you mean? There are a lot of people out there that are searching for the truth. And we need to pray God would set up divine appointments where he brings them to us or us to them, our paths cross, and where we are ready to share the gospel. And what the exchange does is when you begin to get in a conversation, sometimes people have absolutely no knowledge of the scriptures, no knowledge of the character of God. We are really, we are a heathen nation, folks. It used to be you could talk to people and they had a basic understanding of some of the basic ideas of the scripture, some of the Bible stories, and you had somewhere you could relate to them. But even now, we don't even have the Ten Commandments in our public schools anymore. There's not that basic knowledge of God. And so the exchange is a four-week series on the character of God that begins to work to draw a person to Christ. And I want our church to be equipped. And you say, why the exchange? 
Because I believe that it's a well thought out, very carefully studied approach in systematically being able to share the gospel. So that if you get in a, in a conversation with a next door neighbor or a co-worker or somebody like that, you can say, hey, listen, let's meet once a week for lunch or you know, for if they're your next door neighbor, come over for a pie and coffee and then we're going to sit down and we'll do this study. And you hand them their the inquirer's book and they've, they've worked through that and then you review those things and you talk with them and you show the love of Christ and you ask about them and you pray with them about the things that are concerning their life right now as you're trying to guide them through this study on the character of God that will lead them to salvation in Christ. Now, this is not a formula where if you take them through four weeks, they're automatically going to get saved. We know that salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit. But as we share the word of God, we are the ambassadors for Christ, that he takes the truth that we have been sharing and that they have been studying and the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. God the Father draws these souls to his son, John chapter 6. And we get to be faithful in being in the harvest fields, whether we reap or whether we plant or whether we water, it is God that gives the increase. And so we rejoice in that. Another reason why we want to do the exchange is not only to equip you, but we want to equip you to be able to equip others. Paul said, find faithful men and train them to train faithful men. You see? And so we want to also equip you with something like the exchange, where you are then able to thoroughly explain. Let's say, for instance, let's say that you take somebody through the exchange. And whether it's after four weeks, or maybe it's after six or eight weeks, or whatever, as the Holy Spirit's working in their life and they come to that realization, they trust Christ as Savior. Guess what? Unsaved people know unsaved people. That's a great resource, isn't it? And if you're born again, you know, and God's done this work in your life and you're a new creation and you now have a personal relationship with God, don't you want others around you to have that? So how do you tell them? And that's part of discipleship. We can take those new converts and begin to say, hey, listen, I'm going to train you how to take someone through the exchange just like I took you through the exchange. And let's take somebody through the exchange together. And by the way, we're not, we are not limited to a plan, to a four-week Bible study, or to a script where somebody asks us a question. Have you ever called um, a, a help hotline for something, let's say on your computer, and you call a help hotline? And you say, my computer's doing this. And they say, well, is this, 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 or this? And you say, no, it's none of those things. Well, then is it this, 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 or this? And you ask them several things. Well, if it's not in their script of answers, they don't know what to tell you, right? Because they're a paid hireling who's not really a studied expert in that field. They're just, uh, they're, they're just uh, answering the phone, right? And they have their script, and they know there's certain questions to ask. And most of the time, these answers will work, but they're kind of limited in their knowledge only to that script. That's not what we're trying to do here. We're trying to equip you to be able to share the gospel with others and even be able to lead them through a Bible study, build that relationship with them. And then once they're saved, to be able to take them through this exchange so that we're able to talk through these things, share what we're learning. This really is just a structure that helps to equip you. It gives you a framework for building your own evangelistic ministry. And all of us have been called to fulfill the great commission of proclaiming the gospel to every creature. All right? So we're going to look tonight at the, in this exchange. That was the first message. Now here comes the second one. <laughs> 
God is holy. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. What is the train? It's his glory. His glory fills the temple, and above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The verb tense in that verse indicates this is something that continually happens. God's glory and God's holiness is so incredible. It's beyond our ability to comprehend. But it is so wonderful that the angels who have been in his presence for thousands of of years are still awed by his holiness and by his glory and still cry out to one another praising God giving him glory by emphasizing his holiness in verse 4 the Bible says and the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried and at the and the house was filled with smoke then said I woe is me for I am undone that is the matter of fact that is the correct response seeing the holy glory of God. I am undone because, look at this, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. How did it come to this realization? For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. And he has anointed to be a messenger, a prophet of God. God is absolutely holy. But there are some things that I want you to see about God as we look at his holiness tonight. And that first thing is that God is a person. God is personal. God is not just a force. He is not just the clockwinder that created the earth and set everything in motion and then stepped away from it. Now, understand that God transcends all of his creation. There is none like our God. He transcends us in his infinite perfection. He is beyond our ability to comprehend or understand. That's going to be one of the glories of all of eternity. It's going to take forever for God, who is infinite, to reveal himself to us in detail. And every time he reveals more of himself, it causes us to have a renewed rapture of glory and ecstasy as we celebrate how incredible he is and as we gaze in absolute wonder on his glory. But he is a person. Some attributes of that he is a person is that God loves John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. 1 John 4, 10, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Yes, God is eternal. He is spirit. He is not bound by space or by time. He is not limited in any fashion. And yet this infinite God is a person. God interacts with mankind, 1 John 1, verse 3. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We see even in the Old Testament that God spoke to individuals such as Abraham and Moses. We see that He speaks directly to the Old Testament prophets. And in the New Testament, that He speaks to the apostles. We understand that God, being a person, is pleased with certain things. Such as in 1 Kings chapter 3, and verse 10, when Solomon prays. 
and dedicates the temple. The Bible says, and the speech pleased the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1.21, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them which believe. Matter of fact, do you know when someone says, why do I exist? You know what the biblical answer to that is? Revelation 4.11, for thy pleasure we are and were created. God is pleased with certain things. God is displeased with other things. And one of the things God is displeased with is sin. Why? Because not only is God a person, but God is pure. The Bible says that God never has and never can sin. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. God has never had to repent because he has never sinned and he never will sin. Matter of fact, Paul writes to Titus and he says, God which cannot lie. Aren't you glad that God cannot sin? It is completely against his very character and nature, which is holy. God is completely separate from sin. Habakkuk 1 and verse 13 says, Thou art of pure, of pure eyes than to behold evil. Thou canst not look on iniquity. God being holy. And that is one of the, one of the main um, ideas from the Hebrew word for holy is to be separate. Yes, separate from sin. And we're talking about that purity. But also for us, when we have been made holy, we have been cleansed from our sin. Isn't that wonderful? The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We are now in the righteousness of Christ in our standing, in our position before our God. What a blessing to understand that. But God is completely separate from sin. And then God is the only perfectly holy one. 1 Samuel 2, 2, there is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. In Revelation 5, 15 and verse 4, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name, for thou only art holy. We have been made holy in our position, but we have all sinned. God has never sinned. God never will sin. God cannot sin. He is absolutely perfectly holy. And the only being in ever to exist that is holy in that way. God is absolutely pure. Now this is just a little byline. But you know, I think that sometimes we think because of God's grace, because of God's mercy, that God sometimes winks at our sin. But God does not wink at our sin. Well, doesn't God just knows I'm just a human and he remembers our frame. He knows that we're but dust. Yeah, he knows our frailty. He knows we have a sin nature. Matter of fact, Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. He knows what that is, the temptation to sin. And yet God is holy and he is separate from sin. He is absolutely pure and he's the only perfectly holy one. And then God is righteous. That is, he always does what is right. Psalm 11 and verse 7 says, For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. And in Psalm 48, 10, According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. God has always done exactly only that which is absolutely right. He is perfectly righteous. This is our God. He is a person. He is pure. But then I want you to see this. God is clear. So what do you mean God is clear? Well, God has declared his word to us, which reveals his character, his will, and his requirements. Now, because God is infinite, 
Because we have the scriptures, we understand, and because we have a finite nature and understanding, God has revealed himself to us in his word to the extent that we can understand him. But there are things that God has not put in his word because even if you put them in his word to explain them to us, if he spoke slowly and used small words, we still wouldn't be able to understand them. A Corrie Ten Boom, when she was a little girl, had a question for her dad. Something came up, and she asked her dad this question. She's maybe five, six years old. And her dad knew that if he told her the answer, she couldn't comprehend it at all. But pacifier on the train ride, he said, Corey, he said, when we get off the train at our destination, he said, I want you to pick up my suitcase and carry it off the train. When we get set on the platform and you set my suitcase down, I'll answer your question. Well, that satisfied Corey. She was fine, but she didn't forget her question. And so when she got, when the train stopped and she got ready, she said, Daddy, are you going to answer my question? He said, well, what did I tell you? She said, I have to pick up the suitcase and carry it off the train and then you'll answer my question. He said, that's right. So she tried to pick up the suitcase and guess what? She couldn't do it. She couldn't budget. And she said, Daddy, the suitcase is too heavy for me. And he said, that's right, Corey. And he says, if I were to tell you the answer to your question, it would be too heavy for you. You couldn't carry it. You know, there are things that God's not revealed about himself in his word. There are things that God has not explained to us. Things that have happened in our lives where we say, Lord, what is the purpose in this? I don't see the sense in this. I don't understand. But we can always trust that God is good, that God is righteous. He always does the right thing. That he is holy. He has never sinned. He has never done wrong. Not just in his actions, but in his very motives. He is perfect. And when we can't understand him, we can still trust him. And there's great comfort in that. Because God knows what we can understand. And he's revealed himself clearly in his word to where man is without excuse in his ability to understand and know and draw near to the one true God. God has declared to us in this his given moral law which reflects his holiness. Listen while I read from Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments. I'm going to actually read the first 17 verses. I'm going to read quickly. Can you listen quickly and catch it? All right, I'll try not to go as fast as an auctioneer, but I'm going to move through this, all right? The Bible says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Shall not bow thyself down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me, and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God, in vain for the lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain do you see here that these commandments when violated violate the first and great commandment which is thou shalt love the lord thy god with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind so when we break any one of these commandments we also break the greatest commandment and then the bible goes on to say remember the sabbath day to keep it holy six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work but the seventh is the sabbath of the lord thy god in it thou shalt not do work thou nor thy son nor thy daughter nor thy manservant nor thy maidservant nor thy cattle nor thy stranger that is within thy gates for in six days the lord made heaven and earth and seeing all that in them is rested on the seventh day wherefore the lord blessed the seventh day and hallowed it hey you know what god made the sabbath for man's benefit see 
Isn't it interesting? And I'm not going to go off into this because I can preach a whole message just on this, but isn't it interesting how this is the one commandment that Christians somehow think is not God's moral law? Because, and I'll be careful here, but because of how Christ taught on it in the Gospels, because the Pharisees and other works-based uh, religious Jews who were trying to go about establishing their own righteousness through the deeds of the law, which we know can never happen, made such an emphasis on the technicalities of the Sabbath that they missed the intent of this command. But what they did understand, but this was part of God's moral, eternal, unchanging law. Enough said on that. Let's keep moving. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's house, nor covet thy neighbor's <laughs> wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Those, when you can break any one of those commandments, you also break the second commandment. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. These God clearly expresses his moral character through the law and god gave this law to us expecting us to keep it holding us accountable to keep it problem is god declares that all men have sinned every person has broken god's law our good works cannot erase our sins you know if a guy was a mass murderer but he comes before the judge and the evidence is laid out against him that he killed maybe five or six people right but he says yeah but but i did some community service i helped clean up a park last week doesn't that count for something does that all the judges oh well you know you cleaned up some garbage from a park for a couple of hours last week you know we're just going to let you go because you know you've done some good things no that's not going to work is it because he still committed those crimes it's been proven that he committed those crimes he is if there's going to be justice according to the law he must bear the punishment of the penalty for that crime and the wages of sin is death and every man has sinned. Ecclesiastes 7.20, there's not a just or justified or man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. No man can be justified by his own good works or by his own moral character. There's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Matter of fact, the Bible says we come from the womb speaking lies. You ever thought about that, little baby? Right? Because you know how, men, we, we really don't, we're not able really to discern the different cries that babies have. But moms can. A baby could be crying, and mom says, oh, Junior has a dirty diaper. And then the next time the baby cries, dad goes in and says, hey, Junior's got a dirty diaper. Mom says, no, 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 no. Junior's just tired. He needs a nap. Um, and so the next time baby Junior cries, you know, dad says, oh, Junior must be tired. He must need a nap. And mom says, no, 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 no. He's hungry. She can discern all those cries, right? And there's also a cry where the baby is saying, help, my neck is copying in the slats of the crib and I'm about to choke to death, right? You know, there's a rattlesnake in my crib, I'm gonna die, please rescue me, you know? There's that, that, that wail, that cry, that emergency cry, that flare that that baby's shooting up, help, I'm in danger, I'm gonna die, right? And so one day, mom is working, she's cleaning in the living room or doing dishes in the kitchen or something, and she hears that wail, that emergency, help, my head's stuck between the slats of the crib. I'm choking to I'm going to die, you know. And she goes racing in there. She checks all around. There's no rattlesnakes in the crib. The baby does not have his head stuck between the slats in the crib. She sees nothing wrong with that baby. But that baby is crying bloody murder. And so that baby's crying, and she picks that baby up, and the baby goes from... Because all that baby wanted was attention. 
But that day, baby was communicating very clearly to mama, who can discern all the different cries, I'm dying. That baby was deceitful. You say, oh, no. Oh, yeah. We come from the womb speaking lies. Yeah. And all of us have sinned many times. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isaiah 64, 6, but we all are as an unclean thing. All our righteousness are as filthy rags. And I really can't explain that fully here tonight. But that is a very vile picture of how God views our efforts of self-righteousness. Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Hold it. What is the will of God? How can I enter heaven by doing the will of God? Well, Jesus was speaking one time to a bunch of people. These are the same people that ate from the five loaves and the two fish that Jesus blessed and multiplied, right? And they took up 12 baskets of the fragment. And remember that Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray. The disciples get into the boat. They go to the other side uh, of the Sea of Galilee. And then Jesus comes walking on the water. And the next day they're over in Capernaum. And the next day the crowd comes and they look and Jesus is not where he was before. They make the 13 mile hike all the way around to find Jesus. And Jesus said, you did not come to follow me because you saw the miracles and believed me as Messiah. You just want another meal. I'm paraphrasing. And then Jesus says, don't labor for the meat that perishes, but for the meat that endureth unto everlasting life. And they said in response, what are the works that we must do that we may inherit eternal life? What do you think they were expecting to hear? Ten Commandments. Right? First great commandment, second commandment. Maybe something else they had somehow missed. We saw other people in the Bible that came to Jesus and they said, I'm lacking something. Nicodemus came to Christ. He was lacking something. Right? The rich young ruler came to Christ. He said, I've kept all these things from my youth. Uh, what lack I yet? Just like we've been talking about at the beginning of the message. Now, there are people that are searching. Maybe they're close, but they're not there yet. And here's Jesus' answer when they said, what are the works that we must do that we may inherit in life? Jesus said, this is the work, John 6, 29, singular. They said works. He said, there's one work. You know what it is? Believe on him whom he hath sent. Believe on Jesus Christ as the only Savior sent, authorized by the Father. So that's what you must do. And Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And I have cast out devils? In thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them what? I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Because you cannot work away and erase your sin. It can only be cleansed by the blood of Jesus that he sacrificed on the cross, appropriated by faith. When you call out to him through prayer and receive forgiveness of sin and eternal life by expressing your faith in Jesus Christ. So now, two more things. Since I, since God is holy and I am a sinner, I am alienated from him because of my sin. You see where we're going with this? God is holy. We are not. But because God is holy and I am a sinner, I'm alienated from him because of my sin. Isaiah 59 and verse 2 says... But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Colossians 1.21 says, 
as Paul writes to the believers, he says, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. So he's talking about how they were, but then they repented and they came to Christ. And then this alienation has eternal consequences. Revelation 21 and verse 27 says, and there shall in no wise enter into it, speaking of heaven, all right, in the very presence of God. Remember, God is completely separate, separate from sin, Habakkuk 1.13. And there shall no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither that worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so last of all, God has made reconciliation with him possible through Jesus Christ. Romans 5 and verse 10 says, For if, when we were, the, were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That's the good news and then speaking of jesus paul writes in colossians chapter 1 verses 20 to 22 and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him by christ to reconcile all things unto himself by him i say whether they be things in earth or in heaven and you get this that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death in other words through the sacrifice of christ on the cross for you and through his resurrection, when you come by him and acknowledge, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I believe you died on the cross for me. You shed your blood as the payment for my sin. You rose again. I am claiming and accepting that by faith, asking you to do what you promised to do, to give me eternal life, to make me clean from my sin, to present you. The Bible says he hath reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you, look at this, holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. That's great hope, isn't it? But that hope is only through Jesus Christ. Now this is kind of giving you a taste of what that first lesson is. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't be <laughs> preaching or going to this extent when you're sharing that with that person. They're actually going through a workbook and there's questions in it and there's passages of scripture that they're looking at and you're going through it together and you're studying it together. But as you're doing that, the word of God through the spirit of God begins to build conviction in their heart and reveal to them God and his son, Jesus Christ. All right, I'm going to need a couple of mic runners that would volunteer. Pastor Blake, if you would come. Pastor Blake has four questions um, for discussion. Um, and so this is to kind of help you see how this will help in, um, by taking the exchange because there will be some discussion and some more training time. So Pastor Blake's going to kind of explain a little bit more about the exchange. And then he'll ask these questions and explain facilitation um, of these questions. You will be discussing that um, as groups and then having a representative give an answer. Pastor Blake. All right. So in this time, as we're going to do this over the next couple weeks, um, what we're going to do is if you're sitting with a spouse or family members or if you're by yourself, uh, get together with someone close to you. Uh, just discuss this. We're not going to take too long, maybe a minute or two just to go over. Uh, but we'll ask a question, and a lot of times uh, what, what we're doing with these questions is we're just pulling from, um, I'm, we're pulling from not only what Pastor taught is breaking down the entire Bible study uh, from just that lesson. Uh, the exchange is for Bible studies, for studies that are focused in on different attributes of God, and each attribute builds on the last of breaking down scripture to help an unsaved person understand who God is, who we are, and our need of a savior. And so as we do this, um, I would encourage you, 
don't just gloss over these and go, yeah, I know God's holy, right? And, and that's easy for us as Christians to do sometimes. But take a moment and really think about, because even as Christians, we need to be reminded of our unholiness and our need for God's holiness and the provision God has made for us in giving us his righteousness, the exchange that has been made, God's righteousness for our unrighteousness. So that I would encourage you, be, just be reminded of that as we go through this and think through deeply about how what this means for us, the impact that it has for our lives as Christians. But I would also encourage you, kind of try to put yourself in the position of, maybe you haven't been saved for that long, or maybe you've been saved for a while, but put yourself in that position and think, okay, how is an unsaved person maybe thinking about this? What are some things that maybe I've come across, maybe at work or with an unsaved person I've been talking about, but what are some questions that they might bring up or some things that they might be have questions about? Um, get yourself thinking in that side of a, sort of a way. And then also during this time, parents, I'd encourage you, get your kids involved. Get them asking questions and get them starting to think through, even tonight, God's holiness. What does that mean for me as a child or for, for, for your child? Uh, get them thinking through these attributes of God, but don't just pass over them. So this first question here, um, God, we've, we've talked about tonight. God is a person. God has clearly revealed himself. God is pure. We could continue to go through different attributes that even Pastor Todd hit, in, hit on tonight, mainly focusing in on God's holiness. But very often these attributes come under attack by the unsaved world around us. So the question is this, why would people seek to alter the message of the Bible or even seek to impose their own ideas on what the Bible says? Remember, we're kind of setting a foundation, and the Bible study actually asks a question very similar to this, because as an unsafe person comes in, maybe there are things that they've thought through and questions they have about the validity of the Bible, or, or, or yeah, I don't think this is right, or the message of the Bible, but what are some reasons that we could come up with why the message may be altered or just ways in which they may seek to impose their own ideas on the Bible. So take a minute, maybe talk about that with a couple people around you, talk about that with your family. We're going to grab a couple, uh, do we have guys with mics? Awesome. We'll take just a couple answers, and then we'll move on to the next one. But take just a minute or two, and talk about that with the people around you, with your family groups for just a second. two things. Test, test. There we go. Awesome. All right. Let's get one or two. What are some ways in which, why would, why would people seek to alter the message or seek to impose their own ideas on what the Bible says? What I think in addition to what the Bible says, maybe. What do we think? Mr. Diarchus right up here. And then can we get, we got one other. He's moving. All right. Perfect. We'll start off here with Mr. Nyarkis. Um, because um, kind of exposes their own sin. A lot of people will give, well, I think the Bible means this. Yeah. And they, they don't want to admit that they are sinners. Yeah. I mean, no one likes to be, to right? That's, it's, I don't like to be 
don't, you can't tell me I'm, I'm wrong, right? You, you can't tell me and impose on me that what I'm doing is wrong. And so often, yeah, that is, that is maybe something. We don't, we don't like to be told. Uh, the message of uh, your, I am a sinner is, is confrontational. It is. And so often even that can hold us back. If we're not relying on Christ and relying on his strength, that can often hold us back because we're afraid of, well, what are they going to say? They don't, they don't want to hear this. So, all right. Next question. Or next answer. Yeah. Uh, to justify their sin. Justify my sin. Yeah. I, I, I don't want you to tell me because I just want to just, I want, I want, I want the message of the Bible to be twisted in order to justify how I'm living because I don't want to change. Right. I, I want to continue to live how I'm living. And we even do that as Christians sometimes, don't we? Right? We'll try to justify a sin habit or a temptation which we continue to give in instead of admitting, yeah, God, I, I haven't been living the way I should have with you. I, I'm not living in the fellowship that I should be with you at this time. Okay? That's great. Uh, let's move on to the second question just for sake of time here this evening. Second question. What character qualities of God are revealed in the Ten Commandments? I don't know if you've ever thought about this. We talked about the fact that God is holy, but what other character qualities can you come up with that are revealed in the Ten Commandments? You may have to turn to Exodus 20 if you can't remember them off the top of your head, right? We read through them pretty quickly. Uh, but the, take a minute just to think about it. But what character qualities are revealed in the Ten Commandments? Okay, talk about that for just a minute. <laughs> Right. Can we get a couple, couple people who will share with us what you've been discussing? What character qualities did we come up with that are revealed in the Ten Commandments as God gives them to Israel? Yes, in the back, and then right up here. Yes? His truthfulness. His, His truthfulness. The fact that God is truth. And when we lie, we are going against the very nature and character of God, who is holy, who is perfect, Right? But when we lie, we are going against that. Yes. His sovereignty. His sovereignty. Okay. That God is in control. As much as I may like to think I am in control. Yes. We got one in the back. We want to share. What else? What other character or quality God? His faithfulness. That God is faithful. Yes. And we are very unfaithful, right? We go against God. But all of those things, there are multiple attributes that would go into that. But again, we're bringing it to the fact that even if I have disobeyed the Ten Commandments, I have not only gone against God's truthfulness, his faithfulness, whatever it is, I have not only gone against that character quality of God, but I have gone against the fact that God is holy. He is perfect. And it's just exposing even more in my life, my sinfulness. And the fact that God's bar is perfection, and I don't reach that bar, right? Okay, let's move on to the next one. This is great. Number three, what does God's holiness and his perfection, what does that mean for my life? 
How is this important? How important is this for an unsaved person to understand? We could also say, why is this so important for an unsaved person to understand that God is holy? Okay, talk about that for a minute, and then we'll come back and we'll get a couple answers. Let's get a couple of your answers. I know I saw a hand over here. And we got one over there, okay? Let's start over here and then we'll come back to this corner, okay? I think it's because uh, there are lots of systems of belief that the, the deities aren't perfect. In fact, they're quite flawed, like Greek mythology. Yeah. And there, there are lots of people that, you know, worship Satan and other imperfect forces, but our God is perfectly holy. Yeah. Yeah. And that stands in stark contrast, like you said, that stands in very stark contrast to the world around us. Uh, because very often those are very marred, they're very sinful, they're no different from us, uh, because they are. They're man-created. But God is not. God exists, right? He has and uh, has existed and always will exist. So God is holy, though. Okay, yes? Um, God's holiness, it is, it's important for us to understand, especially for unbelievers to understand, because it sets a standard that, that we know that we can't reach. So yeah. if, if somebody's unsaved and they're, they're looking to please an imperfect God, they could theoretically actually attain that because we're imperfect, that God is imperfect, so we could reach that standard. But if there's a perfect God, then we understand that we can't. It's just very humbling because we know we can't reach that standard, and we need God to save us rather than we save ourselves. I like the way he phrased that. It's very humbling for us to realize that there is a perfect God, and I am not him, right? I, I'm not perfect. I am very sinful. And so it is a humbling reminder for us, but it does. It sets the bar where we realize, all right, yeah, I have lied. Um, I, probably, I probably have stole, whether that was an answer on a test or whether that was a piece or whether it was a cookie out of the cookie jar or whether it was a piece of candy or whether it was some money from my brother's room. May or may not have happened when I was younger, but, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's, I have broken that. And as Romans and many other books explain, if I've broken one, I'm guilty of them all, Right. And it's us as a Christian not only understanding that and being humbled by it on my own, but helping an unsafe friend or coworker to understand that 
And again, the Bible study goes so much more into detail of God's holiness and setting even a background at the beginning of the validity of God's word. And that God's word is true, whether you choose to believe that or not, but it is true. And so the Bible study even sets even more of a foundation of, okay, this is God's word and this is who God is and God's holiness. Okay, well, let's move into this last question. And I think even as Christians, this is one that uh, is humbling for us. But in what ways... Are we tempted to think, well, I'm not that far from God's holiness. I'm really not that far from being perfectly holy. In what ways are we tempted to think that at times? I'm really not that, I'm really not that far off. Take a moment to talk about that. All right, let's hear a few different ways. In what ways are we tempted to think we're really not that far from holiness? I say a hand right up here. Get one more right here. Sorry, I'm still learning names. So if I'm just, my brain's got to work quickly. I know some of the names that I just, my brain's got to work quickly. So if I'm just pointing, it's because I'm still learning names. Okay, yes, Jeff. We, We make the great mistake of comparing ourselves with other people instead of comparing ourselves with God. Yeah, I think that is one of the biggest I know it's one of the biggest things I struggle with, but I think a lot of us, that is one of the biggest struggles. We, we get so caught up in comparing, well, I, I didn't do that. I didn't say that. I didn't go there. I didn't do that. Instead of realizing, no, it's not me comparing myself with others. It's me comparing myself with the one who is perfectly holy. And when I do that, it's very humbling. Okay? Yes. Pretty much the same thing. Uh, from the time we're born, we begin to compare ourselves with everybody else. And we justify ourselves by... I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. And so when we come in, in contact with God and his holiness and his perfection, we want to justify ourselves. Well, yeah, but I didn't shoot somebody. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Yeah. And so we, we want to make ourselves better than we really are in our eyes and try to convince other people of the same yeah. because we're sinners. Yes. Again, coming back to the fact, I am a sinner. So I hope this is, this is a help. I would encourage you, be back here, but not just be back here next week. Be, get signed up for the exchange. This really is an amazing tool. It's not the only way to lead someone to Christ, but it is an amazing tool. And it even more so, even if you don't use the Bible study, it helps us as Christians to think through who God is and how do I more clearly communicate the truths of the gospel. Okay, let's close in prayer. And then Pastor Mike is going to come up and he'll lead us in a closing hymn. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. And Father, tonight, I thank you for your holiness. Father, I thank you that we can look into your word and very clearly see who you are. And Father, as we leave from here tonight, I pray that we would be convicted of maybe some areas in our lives in which we're not pursuing your holiness. The ways in which this week we need to stop comparing ourselves with others and we need to start comparing ourselves with you. And Father, I pray that you would help us to do that. Help us to meditate on your holiness this evening and throughout this week. In your name we pray. Amen.